But here's the thing. The, the enemy knows things that you don't know and has abilities that you don't have. The enemy has been around for a long time. And one of, the, one of the ways that the enemy begins to war against the saint of God is through unforeseen warfare. How many of you realize that you operate in the natural? I have a natural body, operate in the natural. You, I hit my hand, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, I naturally hurt. But I don't spiritually hurt. Amen? But the enemy can bring afflictions in the natural and in the spiritual. So he's not necessarily looking to hurt my thumb. He's bringing unforeseen warfare to the saints of God because not because he wants my thumb to get hit with a hammer, but because he wants my soul to walk away from God. I don't want to tell you this morning that the unforeseen battle that you're in and I'm in and we're all in is devised to take you out, to render you useless, to to move you away from what God wants to do in you. And I've seen it so many times, it's so heartbreaking, that people get so filled up with pride that they don't allow the Spirit of God to open their eyes and lead them in the right direction. You know, one of the... One of the one of my favorite scriptures, you know, it says that thy word is a lamp for my feet, right? And a light for my path. God is supposed to be the one that guides us because we can't see. We have natural eyes. We don't have spiritual eyes. We need the word of God and the Holy Ghost to show us the direction we should go, how to go, when to go, where to go. We need the spirit of God to open our eyes so that we can see what God wants us to see. Because I want you to know this. It may sound elementary, but God's got one plan for your life, and the devil's got a different plan for your life. And you're in the natural right now. They're both spiritual. Amen. And there's an unforeseen battle for your soul. Now, one of my favorite scriptures here in Luke chapter 4, this is... uh, whenever Jesus fasted and he prayed out into the wilderness and then after he got done fasting and praying, the enemy came to him. And I want to just tell you this for a second. If the devil came to whisper sweet nothings in the ear of Jesus, you might have heard sweet nothings and not even known it was the devil. You might have heard from the Spirit realm you might have been moved by a spirit that is not of God and I want to show you something that the Lord was dealing with here in Luke chapter number four verse number five this is the second of the temptations that the devil brought to Jesus it says and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. We don't know how he did that. He must have exceeded the time barrier somehow. I don't know. But there was a moment in time when the devil brought Jesus up to a high mountain and he saw every single kingdom, every single one of them. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I'll give it. 
So here's the thing I want you to see. The, the enemy had the ability, the authority to give the kingdoms and the glory of, of any kingdom to Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus was, was promised to inherit all the nations? You go back and read Psalm 2. He asked for all the nations. He's, that's his inheritance. He's the, the seed and the offspring, right, of David. He is God incarnate. But it's that, that rule of David on that throne. And, ev- and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Ev- all nations will fall under the banner of the Lion of Judah. But here, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, the enemy whispers a sweet nothing. And he says, you know, all these things have been given to me. All these nations that will bow down to you, they've already been given to me. And I'll give them to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Now, here's the thing. Now, taking a step back, we understand, while we're not supposed to worship the devil, we're only supposed to worship God. Jesus does set that straight. But I want you to see the enemy's tactic. How many of you believe that the devil loves to rule the nations? How many of you believe right now the devil loves all this war, rumors of war? He loves all the chaos. He loves the destruction. He loves it. Look at what he did through Hitler. Look at what he did through Mussolini. Look what he's done through, you know, slavery. Look what he's done through all of these uh, drug wars in South America. All of the destruction, all of the ungodly things. Don't you know he loves ruling the nations? And yet, he was willing to concede all that ground. He was willing to concede all that ground. He was willing to take a step back and let all of that belong to Jesus if he would just simply compromise in one area. One area. You see, if you look at it in the natural, you're like, well, I'll cross my fingers behind my back. And I'll bow down and worship him and not mean it in my heart. I'll just do it. I won't mean it, but I'll do it. And then I won't have to go to the cross. That sounds silly when we think about it in in light of Jesus. But I want to tell you how many people, how many Christians that the devil will throw a carrot at. Let me tell you, the devil is not beyond giving you a little bit of ground. If he can take your soul. I've seen people, I've seen people that the enemy, they want to be married so bad that the enemy will say, okay, you want to be married? I'll bring someone. I'll bring someone. And, and he's willing to concede a little bit of ground so that he can take you out. Or a job. I've seen people do things that, that, are, that seem all right on the outside, but what it is is it's an unforeseen tactic from the enemy. But I want you to know that the devil will concede a little bit of ground. As you begin to grow in the Lord, as you begin to go forward in God, make no mistake about it, the enemy will begin to, to show that he's being defeated. Amen. And sometimes he'll let you think that he's being defeated. He'll let you win the little battles so that you'll drop your shield, so that you'll drop your sword, so that pride will begin to grow on the inside, and then he can come and, and, and take you out. One of, my, one of the things that I did in college, I worked at a, at a Civil War battlefield, and it was a very neat battlefield. The, um, it was, a, you know, north and south, and um, the, the south 
they had this big conflict. And the South actually won the first part of it. The, the South won this first part of it. It was basically a Hail Mary. They were trying to go up to St. Louis. Um, but the South actually won this first part of the conflict. And the, the North retreated up into the hills. And the South thought that they had defeated everybody. So they all got drunk, ate, and partied. And they all passed out. And while they were passed out, the other side came back down from the mountains and killed every last one of them. Every last one of them. And, you know, I think about that, and, and the Lord showed me that, and that is exactly one of the ways that the enemy will begin to operate in your life is he'll give you a little bit of ground and cause you to think that you're all that and a bag of chips. You've got this under control. You've got, you've got life managed. Maybe it's not the way I want it to be, but I'm got, I've got it on cruise control. I've got it on cruise control. You know, if we ever get to the point where we're not fasting and praying, I believe pride is a result of it. If we ever get to the point to where we're not fasting and praying, I believe pride is a big part of it. Because we're saying, I've got it. I'm comfortable with the temperature of the room. I'm comfortable with where things are. And I'm, I'm okay. And once we get into that place where we think we've got it licked or we think that we're at a plateau, then the enemy will come in. That's when you've let your guard down. That's when you're no longer praying in the Holy Spirit. That's when you're no longer fighting the way that God wants you to fight. And the enemy will. Just look at what he did with, with Jesus. He was willing to concede so much ground. He was willing to concede so much ground. And I want you to know, he is willing to concede ground if you'll drop your spiritual armor. He is willing to drop Oh, he's willing to, to let go of so much ground so that you can get onto this place where you've got a plateau and pride will begin to set in. And I want to talk to you today, really, one of the things that the Lord put on my heart was pride. It is pride that keeps us from prayer. It's pride that keeps us from prayer. Pride says we've got it. Pride says we've got it. Prayer says... Lord, we need you. Pride says we've got it. Prayer says, Lord, we need you. And I want to tell you that there's some battles you're not going to win until you begin to be a prayer warrior. There are some battles that you won't win until you begin to be a prayer warrior. Here in this unforeseen battle, I want you to just realize that it's pride that keeps so many saints in dangerous territory. Amen? Amen. Undoubtedly, we face the same enemy. Jesus here is battling with the enemy, and undoubtedly, you have the same enemy. And if the enemy used this tactic against Jesus, he'll use this tactic against you. Amen. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We see in Ephesians chapter 6 this passage on the armor of God. And I want to just, still talking on this theme of the unforeseen battle this morning. There's an unforeseen battle in, in your life right now. There is actual, an unforeseen battle in your soul. And, and the reality is, is, is if the enemy can get you to a place to where you're comfortable and on a plateau 
then that could be that place where you'll begin to drop your spiritual armor. You'll begin to lay down that shield of faith that got you up to that plateau. You'll begin to let go of that, that, that sword of the Spirit once you get up to that plateau of comfortable life, comfortable living. But we need the voice of God in order to see that unforeseen battle. Look, there's a couple of passages in this in Ephesians 6, verse number 10. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Where does your strength come from? Where does your strength come from? You see, we can't lean on our own understanding and our own strength, our own experiences, our own uh, abilities. Our strength has to come from God. It has to come from a place where we're dependent upon God. We have to cry out to God for help. We, the battle that you're in, you, it's over your head. There's a battle right now that you're in, and it's over your head. It's past your experiences. The devil's been around longer than you. The spiritual battle's been around longer than you. Amen. Now, he, he may be around longer than you and ex, more experienced than you, but you have something he don't have. You have the name of Jesus. Amen. He can come at you with sticks and rocks and everything else, but you've got the name of Jesus. Amen. And the name of Jesus is victory. Amen. And so one of the things that we see in, 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 in spiritual warfare is sometimes people begin to lean on wisdom that comes from man. Let me tell you how to fight spiritual warfare. Stand on one leg, put on a green jacket, put a bandana on your head, come to my seminar. You know, spiritual warfare rests in this reality. You're either fighting battles in your own strength or in the strength of God. And it says here at the very beginning, it's in His might. That's what God's looking for, is for you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Amen. My might is not that much. Amen. Sometimes I got to get a little rag to open a pickle jar. Sometimes. Not all the time. But you know, my power is limited, but God's power is not. Amen. He's mighty to save. I mean, he saves drunks and he saves drug addicts and he saves prostitutes and he saves harlots and he saves adulterers and he saves liars and murderers and rapists. He saves to the uttermost. But not only does he save the soul, but he saves you from trials and tribulations that have come to destroy you. Amen. Not only does he save the soul in that moment of conversion, but he continues to preserve the child of God that walks not in that own person's strength, but in the strength that he has for them. And there is, make no mistake, there is an unforeseen battle. And if the enemy can get you to begin to fight in your own strength, in your own intuition, in your own experience, in your own understanding, amen, then he's got you right where he wants you. He will give you a little bit of experience if that experience becomes a crutch. He'll let you win a few little battles so that you'll say, yeah, now I know how to do it. I'll do it like I did that time. No, 
No, your strength comes from God. Your strength has to come from your relationship with God. It has to come from your dependence on God. It has to come from who God is. Amen. Not who you are or what you've done or how things have gone in the past, but who your God is. Our strength comes from above. Amen. Not from here. Our strength comes from above. So in these unforeseen battles, the, the, the enemy's desire is to get you to lean on, experience things that happened in the past or, or, or those things that come from men's understanding. But God's call on your life is to be strong in Him. Be strong in Him. He's, he's inviting you to a place of strength and victory. Amen. The flesh don't want it, right? The flesh don't want it. The flesh, the flesh does not want to pay the price for victory. Amen. Because here's the thing. God's not, God is no respecter of persons. And He's not going to share His glory with man. You go read 1 Corinthians. It says that He, he, shared, he does not share glory with man. All glory belongs to God. So if God's going to do something in your life, Guess what? It's going to be because you've surrendered all. And you've come to him and you've emptied you of you. And you've asked him to fill you with his spirit. Amen. And you've put your trust solely and squarely upon who he is. And how do we know who he is? We look to the cross. Jesus has revealed who God is to us. Amen. At that cross. That's where we put our faith in. So he says... Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, the whole issue of the armor of God is surmised in that. A lot of people miss this. The purpose of the armor of God is to get you to be strong in God. It's not about, you know, learning this and learning that and memorizing this and memorizing that. It is about really truly about you finding your strength in Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles means trickery. Various tricks. Various tricks. I've said this in the past, but Wiley Coyote. He came up with all kinds of crazy tactics to try to trick the roadrunner. He tried to do things that the roadrunner would not be able to see. He was, his name was Wiley Coyote. Well, you have the wiles of the devil against you. And he's operating in the spirit realm. He's operating in the spirit realm. Now, if you saw a punching bag in front of you, you knew to hit it. But when you can't see it, guess what? You have to rely on God. You have to rely on God. God has to be your eyes. God has to be your eyes. He has to show you where to go and when to go and how to go. If you're not relying on God, you're beginning to open yourself up to the wiles of the enemy. God is calling upon you. He's crying out to you. If God speaks something, it's important. And when He speaks it over and over, it's really important. And when He tells you to be strong in Him and in the power of His might, He repeats this all throughout the Word of God. I think back about whenever, uh, whenever Jesus came down to Jericho 
And Joshua was there, and Joshua saw the, the, the captain of the host of the Lord's army. He saw Jesus there, and he said, are you for us or them? Amen. I mean, he knew where the battle belonged to, because whoever side Jesus was on, that's the side Joshua wanted to be on. And if you could ever see something in the spirit, if you could see how big and mighty your God is, you would just need you would cry out for his direction, for his leading, for the power of his might. Because, listen, there's a spiritual war against your soul and against your mind. There's so many afflictions that are going on right now. The enemy wants you to stay depressed. He wants you to stay addicted. He wants you to stay bound up. He doesn't want you to have that ever-flowing joy in your life. He doesn't want you to have that fountain that never runs dry. He doesn't want you to pray in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you to walk in victory. He doesn't want you to have the peace of God. He wants to take your soul out. And he's willing to concede ground to do it. It's not beyond the devil to give you small victories. It's not beyond the devil to give you small victories. Amen. I think about some of these people on TV that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, are false preachers. Don't you know that the devil has given them small victories to keep them doubly blinded? To keep them doubly blinded. There are wiles of the devil out there. Verse number 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that would be the natural, but against principalities, that's supernatural, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Did you know that there's a wrestling match in the Spirit for you? He says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against spiritual powers, dark things, principalities, things in high places. There's a wrestling match going on, and, and, and a lot of times, as long as in the natural we have, you know, our, our hand on things, then we care not about the spiritual. One of the things I want to show you, though, is that God wants to open your eyes. Let me show you something that David prayed in Psalm 140, Psalm 140. So there is, a, there is an unforeseen battle that's raging all around the child of God. Whenever I was praying about this message, one of the things that I, I, I remembered about was whenever God begins to, to reveal to someone truth. How many of you know? Even though you're in unforeseen territory, you're in an unforeseen battle right now, God knows it. And God will get the word to you. God will get the word to you. I remember one time the, the Lord had me pinpointed on pornography so much. I mean, it was like every sermon I was coming down on pornography, and I had no idea why. I mean, it was coming, 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 coming. And then someone was arrested for child pornography that listened to every one of those messages. God was dealing with that man. God was dealing with that man. There was a battle raging that on the outside nobody knew about. But God knew. 
And you see, God will get word. God will get word to a person, and he'll bring that word because God's desire is to be Savior. His desire is to be Lord. His desire is to be your rescuer. Amen. He wants to rescue you and deliver you. He loves you. Amen. I don't care if you've been a murderer or or whatever. I want you to know you've burned bridges in life, but God made a bridge to you in Jesus. He loved you. He saw you, and he made a bridge to rescue you in Jesus. His desire is to deliver and save. He said that's what he came to do, to seek and save the lost. He came to build bridges to those that were isolated from God. On their way to hell. And so I, I, I remember there was an unforeseen battle in this man's life. He was struggling with child pornography. And I mean, it seemed like maybe seven or eight messages in a row. God had me so hot and hard on rebuking pornography and pleading with people to come to the cross and come get delivered. But this man never would. He's in prison right now. And here's the thing I want you to see is that God will send word to you to rescue you. God knows when you're battling these things. Amen. How many of you know God knows you? He loves you. If he didn't love you, he would have made that bridge. Jesus, he would not have come if he didn't love you. And he wants to bring you to a place of deliverance and freedom. He wants you to be strong in the power of his might. But I think back in just various times in the Word of God how this has played out. I remember, um, how many of you remember Eli and Samuel? Eli was the man of God. Samuel was a child. And Eli sinned greatly against God. And he sent word through Samuel. We always talk about when God spoke to Samuel, he said, Samuel, Samuel. And, and finally, they realized God was speaking to Samuel. But what did he say? He told this child, Eli has sinned. I'm going to take I'm going to take this from him because of his sin. It was a word of rebuking Eli because Eli was not listening to God. So God spoke through a child. And that next morning, Eli told Samuel, he said, tell me what God said to you. And that little kid had to have courage and tell that man of God. And you know what? Why did God send word to Eli? Just to stick his finger in his face? No, because God wanted to rescue Eli. He wanted to deliver Eli. He wanted to show himself strong and mighty in Eli's life. But how many of you know pride kept that man from getting right with God? And I believe it was pride that kept that man from coming to the altar when I was pleading about pornography. God's pleading with you. God's crying out to you to come be set free. And I believe it was pride that kept that man from the altar. And it was pride that kept Eli from getting his house in order. Well, the same kind of scenario happened to David. David had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And David was just zippity-doo-dah, fa-la-la-la-la, all through life. He was just committed to sin and gone on. So God had to send word through Nathan the prophet. 
It said, David, he told him the whole story about the guy with the lambs, and he said, you are the man. Why did God send that word from Nathan to David? To stick his finger in David's face and say, ha, ha, ha. No. Because David was in an unforeseen battle. His soul was in the balance. And God wanted his man to get right. God loved David. And David was oblivious to the war he was in. He had trespassed against God. He he didn't realize how much he had sinned against God. But when Nathan got the word from God and began to tell David, you've messed up. You are the man. David repented. David repented. He cried out to God to save him, to cleanse him, to restore him. To not take away the Holy Spirit, not take away thy presence, O God. But it was that word from the unforeseen realm that God sent to David because David was in an unforeseen battle. And you know, God loves you too. You're in an unforeseen battle. And here's one of the things that David learned to pray. Look at verse number one. It says, deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. How many of you know in your life who the evil and violent one is? Who's the evil and violent one? Peter says your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? Devour. That's violent. That's evil. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man, which imagine mischiefs in their heart continually Are they gathered together for war? How many of you know that the enemy continually schemes and plots against the child of God? The enemy continually is on the offense. It says, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Selah. Here's the part where David learned this. How many of you know David learned this through that experience with Bathsheba? When Nathan had to point out what was he didn't know about. He didn't see it. How many of you know what a blind spot is? David had a big blind spot. And if you're too prideful to think you don't have a blind spot, you got a bigger blind spot than you think. Come on now. If you don't think that you have a blind spot, your blind spot is way bigger than you think. Look at what David prays in verse 4. Keep me. Oh, Lord, this is a prayer of humility right here. This, this, this is a humble man. How I many of you know the thing that marked Christ's ministry was humility? Humility. He humbled himself to the obedience of the cross, it says in Hebrews. He says, keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purpose to overthrow my goings the proud have hid a snare for me and cords they have spread a net by the wayside they have set gins for me selah i said unto the lord thou art my god hear the voice of my supplications O lord now this what i want you to see david realized that there's an unforeseen battle he said they've hid these things from me they, they devise violence. 
The enemy plays for keeps. He wants to render you useless. If he can get you fighting against the wall, he'll do it to keep you from fighting for souls. Amen. How many of you know that the enemy will get a church fighting against each other to keep it off the spiritual battlefield? Our sons and daughters need Jesus. Our husbands and wives need Jesus. Our parents need Jesus. Our neighbors need Jesus. Amen. Our city needs Jesus. But the enemy, come on now, the enemy will let you get a little bit of footing in something to keep you off of that. Because he doesn't want you speaking the name of Jesus to the lost. He wants you to speak the name of Trump or Biden to the lost. He wants to keep you on taxes and economy to the lost. He wants you to keep talking about things that won't make any eternal difference at all. Because there are souls in the balance. Not only is there a battle against you, but he wants to render you ineffective. He wants you to get so sidetracked with issues in your family that you can't see that there's a spiritual battle going on. He wants to get you so sidetracked with things at at the workplace that you can't see that there's a spiritual battle going on. He wants to get you so sidetracked with the things and the cares of life that we no longer care for the things that God cares for. Amen. But David's prayer was, keep me. So the proud, that's the, the way of him saying the wicked, the proud have hit a snare for me and cords. When David says, keep me, O Lord, what it shows is this. David does not trust his natural ability anymore. Think about that. When you cry out to God and you say, Lord, they have hidden snares for me. The enemy has hidden traps all around me. God, I'm praying that you keep me. Preserve me, God. Preserve me. What does that show? That shows the Lord, I'm not trusting my natural abilities anymore. I know that the battle's bigger than what I can see in the natural. I know that it's a spiritual thing going on. And I'm asking the Lord to help me. Amen? How many of you know that the Lord's able to help you? Amen? How many of you know that the Lord is able to help you when you cry out in the name of Jesus? I mean, we look at, we look at Peter when he began to sink as he was walking on the water and all he cried out, to, he just cried out to the Lord. And he reached up that hand and Jesus grabbed his hand. Amen? Jesus hears when you call his name. When you call on the name of Jesus, you're no longer depending on the flesh. You're no longer depending on the natural. You're no longer depending on your own ability and the things of the natural world. You're looking beyond this world to the heavenly places. When you cry out to the name of Jesus, you're calling on the creator of life to sustain your life. You're calling on your maker to help you make it through. Amen. You're calling on the healer to bring healing where there's been affliction. When you cry out to the name of Jesus, he said that if whosoever called on his name will be saved. Amen. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what he says. And if you'll begin to cry out to Jesus, God will begin to move mountains in your life. Amen. No mountain ever got moved by somebody complaining about it. How many of y'all ever complained about a mountain in life? Well, if they just would do this right, then everything would be better. No mountain ever moved by somebody complaining enough about it. 
If mountains were moved through complaints, Facebook wouldn't exist. I paid my money, and look what they gave me. I did this, and look what happened to me. I mean, if, 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 if complaining about things moved mountains, there would be no Facebook. But I want to tell you who moves mountains. It's not Facebook. Amen? I want to tell you who moves mountains. His name is Jesus. Amen. His name is Jesus. And he said, if you'll only believe, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain to be removed and be cast into the sea and it would go. Amen. And I want to tell you that there are mountains in your life that are bigger than you in the unforeseen world. But if you'll get the faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll begin to call that thing to be gone in Jesus name. And he said he said he said it'll be gone. I know people that have battled when I talk about mountains, I mean, I'm talking about like that man that struggled with pornography. That's a mountain in that man's life. He couldn't defeat it. It was defeating him. In the natural, he was incapacitated by it. It had a draw on him. It's powerful. It's a demonic thing. Did you know, by the way, the FBI, when they looked at all the serial murderers, they couldn't find any link except for pornography? Every serial murderer. It wasn't because they came from a broken home. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't that they were, you know, this. It was they all were bound by pornography. Every one of them. So when you begin to open yourself up in that, it's a dark thing. It's a strong thing. And that man could not beat that in the natural. But if he would have cried out to Jesus. If he would have put a mustard seed faith in the name of Jesus, if he would have said, Lord, I know, I don't know how you can do it, but I know if I call on your name that you'll move this mountain in my life. If he would have just put a mustard seed of faith in the name, in the power of the name of Jesus, if he would have just trusted in the name of the Lord, that mountain would have been moved. As it says in Psalms, he says, some trust in chariots and others in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord. And if you'll just begin to put a mustard seed of faith in Jesus, he will deliver you from every high thing. He said, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. All power in heaven and earth was given to Jesus. You need power in the spiritual realm, in the earthly realm, in the unforeseen realm. He said all power was given to him. When you call on the name of Jesus, it carries the weight of heaven. It carries the weight of heaven. There is no name higher than the name of Jesus. Amen. Now turn with me to the book of Jude real quick. It's the last book, 65th book of the Bible, right before Revelation. Number 65. Coming in strong in the book of Jude. I tell you what, all my favorite sermons have the book of Jude in them. Hallelujah. I want you to know this morning that God can keep you. 
David prayed, Lord, keep me. It shows a dependence upon the Lord God Almighty. And for your battle, it's going to require the same kind of dependence. I don't know your battle. It's unforeseen, right? If the Holy Spirit can, can give discernment, sometimes you'll have a man or a woman of God, and they'll speak right to that issue. I've done that before. I've, I've felt the Holy Spirit operate that way. I've been in a prison ministering to someone, and God gave me a word of discernment about some, something somebody was struggling with. And I mean, you talk about the, the, the you know, crossing a T. It hit right on point. And when the Holy Ghost has that spirit of discernment on somebody and they speak about your hidden sin that you hadn't told nobody, it'll bring tears. It'll bring tears. Amen. But I want you to know that God knows your battles. He knows your battles. And if you'll cry out to them, he'll keep you. That was David. Uh, that was the, the main thing I wanted you to see about David is he had unforeseen battles. There were things hidden, but he cried out for God to keep him, to preserve him. Amen. Look at what Jude says here in verse number. Let's start with verse number 20. It says, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, I'm, I'm not going to finish right there. I just want to break right there for a second and see there's a, a thing that you've got to do. Not only do you need to pray and specifically pray in the Holy Ghost. Don't let somebody lie to you. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. Not only that, but you need to keep yourself in the love of God. Whatever it takes, keep your heart right with God. Let your love be to the Lord your God. You're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen. Everything that is about you has to be about loving God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Know that he loved you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't have sent Jesus for you. He loved you. He made a bridge for you to come off of the highway to hell. He made a bridge for you at the cross. So he showed you that he loves you. And so the first part of this is keep yourselves in that love. Know that he loved you and love him back. Amen. John says it like this. He says, we love him because he first loved us. See, we, we look at the cross and we see how much He loved us. He, he condescended to this earth. He who is uncreated and unmade and immaterial, who is spirit, became flesh. Amen. He laid aside His glory, not His deity, His glory. He laid aside His glory so that, so that you wouldn't be blinded. He laid aside that glory. He condescended into humanity. And He allowed humanity to nail His hands on a cross, nail His feet into a tree, and bleed and die for our sins and rise from the dead on the third day. This is the love of God. And John said it like that. He said, we love Him because He first loved us. You have to come to realize the love of God first before you can love him back. 
Amen. And this word to you today is keep yourselves in the love of God. You need to know that he loves you and you need to love him more than anything else in this world. Amen. You need to love him more than your political party. You need to love him more than your spouse. You need to love him more than your job. You need to love him more than anything in the world. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Amen. All your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, here you go. This part I want you to hear. Listen to this. Now, unto him that is able to, what? Keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I want to tell you something. The glory of God, when it came down into the temple in the Old Testament, when the glory of, the God, of God came down, they called it the Shekinah glory. When that glory cloud came down, not a man could stand. When that glory cloud came down, they all fell down. They all began to weep. They all began to cry. They all began to worship. And not one man was standing in the presence of that cloud. And, and the scripture says, not only can God keep you now, but when you stand in the presence of God, in His glory, not a glory cloud in His glory. He'll present you without fault. Not only can God get you there to His throne, but He can get you there faultless. I'm telling you, He can do it. But you've got to be like David. You've got to continually say, Lord, there's unforeseen battles. They've hidden. The enemy has hidden traps for me everywhere. I don't know where they are. You know where they are. Show me, Lord. Reveal them to me. Keep me. Preserve me, Lord. And God will begin to open your eyes. God will keep you on your knees. God will keep you on your face before him. God will keep you in that, in that prayer room. God will keep you in that place of staying consecrated unto God. Honest with God. Please with God for his mercy. Jude here hits something very profound when he says that God can keep you from falling. Man can't do that. You think about the strongest Christian you know, they can't keep you from falling. They can't keep you from falling. God can. God can. Stop putting your trust in men. Stop putting your trust in you. Stop putting your trust in yourself. Don't let pride keep you away from God. Now, I know that sounds, it might sound silly, but I'm telling you, the enemy knows there's something that God resists. It doesn't matter. God always resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble, but he always resists the proud. And if you're too prideful to be broken before God, you're too prideful. If you're too prideful to be broken before God, you're too prideful. God has the ability to present you faultless in his glory. How many of you want that in your life? 
when I stand before God, he has, not me, he has the ability to present me without fault. I can tell you I've got faults. I've got faults. I can tell you my faults. Some of y'all know me long enough. Y'all can probably tell them for me better than me. I've got faults. I know I do. But my God has the ability, whenever I get translated up to heaven, to present me faultless in the eyes of the glorious one. I mean, not a glory cloud, the actual glory of God. That ability only God can do. And it starts out with you asking the Lord to keep you and preserve you. Maybe the Lord needs to search you and try you. Whatever it takes, ask the Lord to show you and get right with him today. He has the ability to keep you. Amen. How many of you know that we got battles coming up? We've got battles coming up. I don't know what they are. Everybody guesses. Oh, there's going to be a big political thing tomorrow. There's going to be a big economic thing tomorrow. You don't know. It could be nothing. They got all kinds of rumors. The enemy uses rumors. But we don't need to be given to those things. We can give ourselves to God and find ourselves not on sinking ground, but on a solid rock. This morning, I want to invite you to come get your feet on a solid rock. I don't know what sinking ground you may be putting your foot on tomorrow, but make your decision today to put your feet on the solid rock. Put your feet on the solid rock. That's Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lord, we bless you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your word. I thank you for each and every child of God that's here today, every person listening to this message. Lord, I know that your desire in 